All right, Star Trek Picard, Season 3, Episode 3, 17 Seconds, I think it was called. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, lots to talk about. I'm on a little bit of a time crunch, so we might talk a little bit fast. I thought all in all it was quite good. I have some problems with it, but Jonathan Frakes uh, delivered us a movie-quality episode as far as action and special effects, and I think pretty good pacing. And I think Riker continues to be the best part of this show. Um, ah, Worf is. Worf, Worf is good. <laughs> I um, love that Worf is in this. Yeah. I, I mentioned watching it that I'm sure some of it is annoying or hokey to some people, but I love I, I loved every scene that had Worf in it. And he's everything that I remember and yet everything that I kind of would expect him to be. And I just, he's one of my favorite characters. Well, there's lots of one-liners and I feel like Worf's landed better than most people's. Uh, Michael Dorn has great delivery. For his character. Well, and the cadence he takes on for Worf's character. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, Worf has always been funny, but he was funny here where he was trying to be funny. Like, Mm -hmm. Worf had a sense of humor, but I didn't think it misfired. I think it could have misfired, but I thought it worked well. Worf's pretty physically agile. (laughs) He's fry. Well, Michael Dorn and Jonathan Frakes are both 70, and Patrick Stewart is 82. So they're definitely... um, they're definitely up there. It's like we were talking about a spinoff last episode, and I would like to see a spinoff. But then when I realized Jonathan Frakes was 70, it's like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> um, but I I don't know. I'm happy seeing everyone, uh, except for the things we talked about last episode with action scenes. Like the physical action scenes are a little difficult, but not with Worf. He looks good. Um, and beheadings are on Wednesdays. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it landed pretty well. All right. So... Well, and he drinks chamomile tea. <laughs> yeah. So Earl Grey for Picard. and Not his usual prune juice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Picard's son is confirmed. Um, so there's no ambiguity about it. They even remember the specific sexual encounter that created him. And I thought the discussion between Picard and Beverly was done pretty well. There was some signs of old Picard like the impassioned speech. Yes. There was a bit of a, there are four lights there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it just reminded me of when he would speak about like justice in the original next generation. Like he obviously feels robbed of something. It was a good exchange. I thought the acting was well done, but I thought the justification, I was really, really looking forward to how Dr. Crusher was going to say why she did what she did. And I thought she did a decent job and she's not wrong. And Picard is really coming from an emotional place of you have deprived me of this experience without recognizing that me being a part of this experience could have left different possibilities and realities here in a much worse place. Yeah. Picard comes with baggage and enemies and everything else. And as far as I'm wanting to protect Jack, it does make sense. And also, she did give Jack the option, and he chose not to take it. So, And, and that's really what got to Picard. Because then it stopped being Crusher's like mistake or intervention. Now this is a, another adult human being making a decision to remove Picard. And it's the actual son this time. So first, Crusher did it for him, which might have an influence for him. But he could have done whatever he wanted then. She didn't hide it. And that's where I think the final blow for Picard on it is because it's one thing to blame Beverly for it, but now Jack decided that he didn't want to. And what are those reasons? And I actually think those reasons have a lot of merit. And Picard can't just be upset 
that he's been robbed of this opportunity because he had his whole life to do this, to get married and to have kids. Yeah. And when I was putting myself in Picard's spot, it is hard in the sense um, he is 82. He doesn't get to catch up for past time. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like it's um, he's learning now when most people are already been grandfathers for 20 years, <laughs> you know, that he has a son. It's he probably doesn't have much time with him if you know assuming that they get out of all this and all that which they will of course it's um adds to the kind of tragedy of it and then they tied it in with Riker's son dying which I thought was powerful and sad when they were having the meeting the the flashback of when Riker found out he was going to be a father and the 17 seconds of the turbo lift they played that in when you know, Jack was poisoned and Picard had to ride the turbo lift. So I thought it was well done tying all these things together. And um, I feel like any parent is going to identify well with that 17 seconds, even though we don't have our own turbo lift. But if anything has ever happened to your kid, whether, I mean, when I was pregnant with ours, there were, there were some moments where you don't know. Um, so I, at least for me, it starts before the birth, but like, you know, when they're born and making sure they're okay, or if they've ever fallen and hurt themselves, like just these moments where you're like, oh my God, is my kid okay? And those 17 seconds are 17 million years. And I think that's part of what they're showing here. Yeah. And it's, it's sad, like in a, in a good way, but it was sad to see young Picard and young Riker, relatively young Picard and Riker, you know, while congratulating Riker on the birth of his son, who later goes on to die. And then Riker, Jonathan Frakes, I thought in this episode, just did a great job of trying to make Picard appreciate that and make Jack appreciate that and kind of like, like they're just tying their two storylines together really well of of what it's like to, to be a parent. One thing that, I mean, maybe this is happening because Picard is so old and he doesn't have time and he knows it because of his synthetic body and he he knows when he's going to die, at least if he doesn't die before then. So he's got the luxury of wisdom and life experience to have these decisions and stuff now. But what bothers me a little bit about this is he can't like, I get why he's initially mad at at Beverly and stuff, but he's had his whole life to do this, all of these decisions. And what I mean by that is over and over and over again, he's decided not to, he has not Beverly or Jack or Riker or anybody else. He has. And that famous flute episode, he has a whole life. He actually knows what it's like to live a life like that. But what was his decision over and over again, which is what Beverly's point was, is the, the space, the skies, Starfleet. And so I don't want them rewriting his character here or taking away from this decision he made a thousand million times already. And this parallels Captain Kirk's story. Kirk had the same thing. And it was discovered he had an adult son. And his adult son was killed by Klingons partially because Kirk is who he is. So they're, I feel like they're connecting that as well in the overall Star Trek narrative. But right, yeah, Picard shouldn't feel... Well, I think I, he, I, I don't know. he can feel yeah. whatever yeah, he yeah. wants now, but I, I just want some connection with the fact that this is on me and the choices that I made that I thought were right for me. And he can mourn the loss of what he doesn't have now. But I also don't want them to strip the Picard that we all know because we have watched him make this decision over and over again. Yeah. So I, I feel like just all around, just good stuff with that. Because as we're talking, I'm trying to figure out how I feel about it. 
<laughs> you know, and how Picard should feel and how Beverly should feel and how Jack should feel and everything. And it's... I agree with Beverly, actually. And I, I think at the end of the day, her assessment and how she was explaining, like, I did try to come and this happened and this. And that sounds like a very accurate experience. And he didn't refute that. And basically what she was saying is I had to make a decision based on the information I had of what was best for my child, which who happened to be his child, too. And I ultimately decided to the best of my judgment, it was to not have you be around. And she was right enough because he stayed alive. Yeah, and yeah. and I, I wish that we could see Picard grapple with that. And maybe we will hear about the reality that this might actually have been the best of all the options, but it's the best of the, like, they're all bad options. It's the best of the bad. Yeah, the only thing I didn't like is it seemed like Beverly and Jack, I thought they were doing more important things than they were. So it has yet to be explained why they're after Jack or what, what importance he is. But, but, he went, he but went we're to... speculating, though, it is because he's Picard's son. And, right. And, Sounds like maybe other people already know this. But he went to school in London. They've been helping people. Like, I don't know. It's uh, I expected them to be on some more interesting kind of mission or something. But yeah, so then... At least they acknowledged <laughs> where he got that accent. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, it is good that they, they shored that up. So some good action scenes here in the Nebula. We did not see the Riker maneuver, at least not yet. Um, so I was wrong there. In any way. Chair or nebula form. <laughs> yeah. Captain Shaw gets hurt and he transfers uh, command to Riker. So that, that I, I don't know. That's cool, I guess. I, I like seeing Riker in command and I I kind of like seeing his fights with Picard. We'll talk more about that later. A lot of things in this episode I thought went really well and a lot seemed quite a bit forced. So one thing that was forced, like we, we talked about worst one-liner beheadings are on Wednesday. I thought that was good. That was funny. But the fourth thing was like uh, when Jack knocks out the security guard and Seven's like, you're insane. It's like, yeah, oh, come that, on. That, that did not land for me. One, how, how, like, is this like just not a very good security guard? It's just classic Star Trek. It's just okay. these the, the stupid knockouts and all that stuff. Like, I thought it was going to happen when the first security guard didn't let him on the bridge. But yeah, that was... It was kind of dumb. I mean, we we got to remember, like, we normally um, review Game of Thrones, where it's everything is careful and meticulous, and well, have, and they've had five years to edit it, and decide yeah, it, right? And, so it's like we can't hold Star Trek to quite the same standard. But I think um, you can in this day and age, with this many people who are brilliant, who can be connected with each other so fast with a quick, you know, video conference, even if they're in a, the other side of the world. Like, honestly. I think I can hold a higher standard to that many brilliant minds being able to be like, hey, this might not translate. Or they did, and they decided to go through with it anyway. Well, that's what I think it is. Star Trek's always been like, hopey. But if anyone would like to consult with us, <laughs> we are open for a very decent consultation rate. I mean, yeah, but Star, <laughs> Star Trek's always been hokey. Like, yeah, I'd be happy to advise them on their fight scenes. Like, when you go back and watch... Deep Space Nine and the, the Klingons raid Deep I Space know, Nine. I know, I know you're right. They have these fist fights and like Billy Jedzia <laughs> Dax is knocking out these Klingons. But I think part of what made this not go as well for me is, yeah, him coming and, and no one can anticipate this at all. Well, the it, other... It's the level of intelligence of, of the, someone in security there. Well, yeah, that, that brings me to another point that I, I said at least twice during the episode. These Starfleet people are really bitchy. And like the, the ensign is like, this is your fault. 
to, yeah. to Jack. And then later he's like in the sick bay and the doctor's like, you know, poo-pooing Beverly. And so, I don't know. There's a lack of decorum here. So, like, I'm trying to think of, like, for example, like a bunch of Marines. You don't act like this. This is part of your training. And, and, and even Riker at the end, where when he tells Picard, you've just, con- as a leader, you don't just say, oh, my God, we're all going to die, which yeah. is the equivalent of what he just did there. So there's definitely something here where I think we all expect these Starfleet people to be a little bit more put together. This part of the podcast might come off as a little weird because it's going to be highly edited. But basically, I think Starfleet is too soft and they're... They're portraying that, but we don't have a good way to communicate that. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, I mean, I think a, a way to put it is that the, often training is necessary before people go into very dangerous situations that have the a high likelihood of being traumatizing. And I think being in Starfleet, this is constantly there because there's a lot in space that's just in general j- dangerous, but then also conflict with warships or, you know, what's happening here and that... Starfleet has to be properly trained for that. And at least a lot of the Starfleet in this episode don't appear to be that. And the best analogy I can give is something that we talked about in our House of the Dragon podcast, that when you have a whole generation or several generations without exposure to severe conditions of war or famine, they don't know what it's really like and they don't know how to handle it. And this was a whole concept in House of the Dragon that things they'd been at peace for a while and most of their knights had never seen battle. Yeah, and right. and it, this is what these officers remind me of is that they just, they seem pretty ill-prepared for anything to be ex- other than an exact according to plan scenario. And that's just not realistic in space as much as I can gather from watching Star Trek all these years. And, and yeah, maybe nothing's happened between the Dominion War and now to and remind season me that these people. The Dominion War, that was Deep Space Nine, right? Yes, which I'm very happy to see included in this show because the Dominion War is the best Star Trek in my opinion. And the changelings, I have mixed feelings about, but I think it works here. I, like when when he punched the guy, I was like, "Oh, it's a changeling!" Like that got me excited rather than like annoyed or something like that. But um, it's doing that continuity that I was hoping for last episode of taking from the different shows and combining them. Yeah, yeah, and the changelings. Um, I mean, it makes sense. That was Otto, right? Yeah, Odo. Odo. Yeah, and Worf was on that show. He was on three or four seasons oh, of yeah. Deep Space Nine, so it's. Um, it makes sense that the Dominion War wouldn't have just ended so simply um, because they were so powerful. So I doubt we're going to see like Jem'Hadar and everything because this is just like whatever you call it, the terrorists of the changelings. But I like that it's including the broader Star Trek universe and Deep Space Nine, which is often like kind of neglected. So, yeah, just good for them. Let's see. OK, so another thing that felt very forced to me and there was a few of them, but one was. You know, Riker is encouraging Picard to go talk to Jack. And he's like, oh, it's irreparable, their relationship or whatever. It's a little little early to say that. That didn't seem quite right, but whatever. Yeah, that, um, that irreparable comment of Picard does not sound like Picard. No. Um, but I did like, they're really doing a good job of getting Riker to be like, dude, come on, let's go. You know, this is your son and you, it's not guaranteed that you're going to have one and blah, blah, blah. What do you make of all this conflict we saw between Riker and Picard in this episode? Well, the, yeah, that that was the biggest problem with this whole episode. I, I think, one, I liked seeing them as, in a sense, peers or equals. And I liked seeing the back and forth. Of course, it would never happen on the bridge like that. 
But I guess they don't have time to go to the ready room and duke it out. Yeah, um, but I thought that Picard should have known better to not talk to the captain of the ship that way, based on his experience. It sounds like even though he says, you should call me number one, actually, you're still my number one and defer to me. Like, Picard is having a hard time, especially with literally actual previous crew members treating him as, as like this change in authority. Yeah, which I think could be fleshed out. It could be done really well because there, it is weird to have Riker commanding him. I agree with but that. But it's just a little fast. Right. They but, didn't flesh it out. Right. So it doesn't feel as as good to me of how it was done. But they're also, they're packing a lot in to these episodes. Again, I, I don't think we can compare it to Game of Thrones or House of the Dragon, how they set things up over five seasons. It's like they're going to pack all this into one season. And we, if we compare it to earlier trek it it seems better but yeah it, it did seem forced and particularly the big problem was picard was artificially aggressive it seemed to me and Riker was artificially passive like neither one of them are more inclined well then, i i can accept that you can be a different kind of captain when part of your identity is a father and i think that was a big theme of this episode Riker has that experience picard does not this is literally his first time ever trying to be a captain and make decisions of a captain um, with literally your kid on board, but also just with this as part of your identity and how that may change how you make decisions. And Riker is well experienced with this. And again, I think if they just had a quick conversation of like, look, I understand. Here's this. It's influencing you. But remember, these are our duties. And I think they tried to do it. It just didn't come together as well. And I just wanted that to be done a little bit better. They want us to feed off of this conflict between the two of them here. But it's so open on the bridge in front of the entire ship. That is a big no-no. Which even that I could I could take. But the problem is Picard's like, you got to fight. You got to fight. But it's like, well, what's the plan to fight? Riker was like, we'll lose. And he's right. So that there, there was no, it's like if Picard had. Well, put, Riker became the other captain. Uh, Shaw. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right. But the. But my only point is that I could see Picard, like wanting to fight might not be a terrible idea, except that it was a terrible idea. That was the whole reason they went into the nebula. And that was the whole, like nothing changed. If, if something had changed, if that had been like, oh, uh, we, we have these new experimental torpedoes that we didn't tell you about or something. So I, I think going forward, I like that there is this conflict and tension and it's going to be interesting to watch, but... The, the problem is they're in a no-win scenario. So neither one of them are right. The Shriek, the whatever it's called. Shrike. The Shrike keeps finding them. So Riker's plan of... And it's being a Shrike, it's, by yeah, the way. Right. And Riker's plan of like escaping isn't a solution. That's why Picard's saying fight. But then Picard's plan of fighting isn't a solution either. And I guess it's the writer's fault for putting them in a no-win situation. Because there's nothing they can do. So, so somehow they're going to get saved by something, right? Like, I don't know if somebody else is going to come in or they're going to figure something out. But... Well, and something else that came forward in this episode is regardless of Jack Crusher, there is a larger issue that was already happening that was already on the Titan, and that's this changeling, which is that Ensign. Yeah. So for the record, Kate called it right. She predicted Ensign Foster would be somebody important because uh, she recognized him from the Fast and the Furious, which even upon this episode, I did not recognize that guy at all. Um <laughs> So, I mean, it would be like us looking at pictures of ourselves when we're 16 and then comparing to where we are now. And there there are some changes, but um, it's just t 
to me, it feels obvious as a viewer when you see somebody who does have a recognizable face. Yeah, which she doesn't to me, but... Uh, <laughs> that, but yeah. They're probably going to play a role. But it just shows, though, that, you know, this this Ensign Foster was already on the Titan, already doing things here, setting things up. And, and it, like, irrespective of, of Jack Crusher. So um, there's a really big thing at work, though, is what we can take from that. We don't know how many changelings are all over the place putting this in work, or this uh, plan into motion. You know what they could have done, too? I'm going to go deep into Star Trek nerdery, but there was a episode of The Next Generation called Conspiracy, which was about these little bugs that go inside people and they stick their little tails outside their neck. Oh, I remember this one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I remember this one. It haunted me as a child. Yeah, that was... Like, it's funny that you said that and immediately I'm like, I remember this one. <laughs> well, that episode left on a cliffhanger where they were sending out a message to the rest of those bug things and I always thought that those bugs should return as the bad guys and they could have done the same thing they're doing with the changelings like you don't know who to trust and who's there and whatnot so there's a, a really good episode from the first season of x-files i believe it's called ice where it has an element where a, uh, i think it's like a worm that goes in the nose or infects yeah. people and then you don't know whom to trust because they take over so this is definitely a sci-fi concept yeah. that we've seen but it makes for really great television because you get people you love and you as an audience don't know are they who we think they are? And then also they can turn on each other. And Yeah. The thing with Kurt Russell is another one. And then the one with the pod people. Why can't I think of it? Donald Sutherland. You know, um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. That's like, so it's an old trope. And Actually, I don't think I've seen that movie. <laughs> that's, eh, it's <laughs> came out before you were born. Um, but yeah, it's an old sci-fi tool that works well. All in all, even though we complained a little bit, I thought that was... Pretty good episode. Well, these are our critiques, yes. But yeah. uh, I I do really like the episode. I I thought the action was good. The, the pacing was pretty good. I thought the, the Warf Raffi stuff kind of took out, messed up the pacing a little bit. The special effects, just, I said this last episode, but it's so nice to see TV come to what was movie quality 15 years ago or yeah. whatever. There were a couple shots where you made a comment. You're like, that was a really cool shot that we didn't really see as much before because they didn't have the budget. But there were some really great space shots now that I don't think really is much uh, expensive at all to do. Well, they used to use models. Right. Now they use computers. And then inside the nebula, I like the camera angles because there is no up, down, upside down whatever in space it's just whatever way you're oriented is the way you're going so they could all be upside down from someone else's point of view but still standing right because they have the gravity in the ship so i like that the angles where they show the ship going you know down and up and upside down and stuff because there is no right way so i decided it was well done in that regard i did like the conversation that Riker had with jack crusher where he's like hey i didn't ask for this and Riker's like doesn't matter yeah. You still need to own what the situation is, whether you ask for it or not. Because I think that is actually wisdom from experience of being able to say a lot of life is going to be that. And you can't always just say I am an island and refuse to take responsibility. Like Jack is in this, whether he chose to or not, and it's happening. And people did put their lives on the line for him. If he continues to act the way that he was, it's, it's only going to further incite a lot of those uh, glances and things that he got. I already said it, but just watching Riker is just so fun for me. I love his facial expressions and his smile, and he's got that glint in his eye, <laughs> you know. Well, and I think he rolled his eyes at Picard at one point, so you yeah. can just see a lot of 
history and things coming together there. He's I commented that Riker's got this thing where like his eyeballs don't move, but his head does. Yeah. And he, he makes these movements. And I, it just reminds me so much of, you know, him and the other shows and such. So hearing a lot of their voices, it just, there's a nostalgia there for me. Yeah. Well, Picard's, Patrick Stewart's voice has changed. Yeah. And so as Michael Dorns, I was noticing. Yeah, yeah I did too. Uh, I felt like it used to be deeper. It's yeah, they they both sound more like <clears throat> like like, like, clear, <laughs> like they're clearing their throat. Um, all right. Anyways, uh, anything else to say about this? I like the episode with all of the stuff we've been saying. I, I I like the episode, and I'm I'm excited to see the next one, which is something that's been kind of missing for me with some of these uh, yeah, other good. seasons of Picard, where I was like, okay. Good cliffhanger. Yeah. But like in, in true Star Trek style. Yeah. Except it doesn't say to be continued with dramatic music. <laughs> um. That's, that is true. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.